1: Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, senior pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message you will learn how to apply God's word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us.
0: This site is significant where we are today on on Dan because uh, something very sad happened here actually as a part of the degeneration of the Northern Kingdom's worship. And, of course, what happens over a period of time is because of the degeneration of the northern kingdom's worship, their idolatry, failure to stay uh, true to God, eventually then they are captured by the Assyrians and the Assyrians come in and disperse them and Judah continues to remain in relationship with God to some degree of course eventually they fall away from God as well and we end up with the Babylonian captivity but and Jeroboam now is uh, running the northern kingdom he is his influence is here as the ruler or the king of this area notice what happens verse 25 Jeroboam then built up the city of Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and it became his capital later he went and built up the town of Peniel Jeroboam thought to himself, unless I'm careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. When these people go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord, they will again give their allegiance to King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and make him their king instead. So now he's the king of the northern kingdom, but where does everyone have to go to worship? To Jerusalem, right, and so his concern is if we go if I let all of our folks go back down to Jerusalem what 's going to happen is they're going to be influenced by rehoboam they're going to become loyal to rehoboam again i'm going to be in really big trouble they're going to kill me, and I'm not going to be in the picture any longer and so, for his own personal expediency and political expediency, he makes a, a decision, a bad decision. so on the advice of his counselors, the king made two gold calves, he said to the people, It is too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem, look Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. He placed these calf idols in Bethel and in. Okay, so Jeroboam to avoid the people going back down to Jerusalem to worship so that he doesn't risk losing the kingdom himself. He says, we're going to set up some worship places outside of Jerusalem so that people can have a place to worship, but it's not going to be a threat to me and my kingdom. And he did it at Bethel. He does it at Dan. And what was set up at both of those places, the Bible says that there were idols in the form of a gold calf. All right. Verse 29, he placed these calves, idols in Bethel and Dan at either end of the kingdom. But this became a great sin. For the people worship the idols. Okay, that's a very important word, for what I want to talk to you about in just a moment. Traveling as far as Dan to worship the one there, right? Let me stop there and let's talk about this. And so this was considered to be. Uh, worship of Israel to God but instead of really worshiping God what were they worshiping they were worshiping an image okay and the image they were God says don't make for me any graven image don't worship any idols don't make any graven image to me and so in the high place which by the way this place had been a high place of worship of all other kind of gods throughout the years as well but now Jeroboam comes in and establishes this as a place of worship with the sacrifices being offered here now so often when we think about idolatry, we think about it in the form of bowing down to an idol or bowing down to a god or bowing down to some kind of image. And of course, that is what was going on here. They were worshiping, offering sacrifices to an image, to a golden calf. But what I want you to realize is that an idol is not just the form of something, another god that you worship in the sense of some kind of a replica of something or some kind of icon that you bow down to or some kind of shrine that you put up in your house. All those kind of things certainly are spoken against in Scripture. But idolatry is something that goes far beyond that. Idolatry is when you put anything in your life that goes before God. That's all it is, okay? So anything in your life... You can have someone that you have in your life that you put before God, and if that person comes in your life before God, then what is that person to you? They're an idol. You know that your job can become your idol, okay? You can worship at the altar of your job. If the most important thing to you is what your position is and what your title is and how everybody else views you on the job and you spend all of your time and energy trying to make sure that you are just that this is the center of your life, what does it become? It becomes an idol. Uh, they're all kind money can become an idol i've got to have more money i've got to have more of this and more of that material things are all kinds of things that can become idols in your life and all through the new testament not just in the old testament but all through the new testament we're charged we're warned even as christian believers to be very careful that we do not allow any idols to form in our life in fact if you read the first letter of john first john you'll find that John talks about idolatry there as a, an apostle of the early church. And so what I want to encourage you to remember as we are here in this place. Tell Dan, we look at this altar that was established to a, an idol, and we think about how horrible that was for Israel forsaking God. Let's, let's not just condemn them for what they did. Let's be reminded of the fact that sometimes we actually do the very same thing. Sometimes in our lives, we actually may not obviously be that we're bowing down to something as a form of a God to worship. But we bow down to things in our lives that we put before God. And so what I want to encourage you to do here as we're at this place where Israel made a very significant mistake in their spiritual lives. I want to encourage you to rededicate yourself today to this, that there is only going to be one God in my life. And that is the living God. God the Father revealed to us only one way through His Son. Jesus said, "I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. and so we worship God the Father through relationship with Jesus Christ. We are in the what's called the traditional upper room, and uh, there are a variety of things we could talk about relative to this upper room, but I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, the second chapter of Acts. And um, we'll talk a little bit about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the importance of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, the value of that, the importance of it, and uh, an opportunity for us to begin to ask God to fill us with the power of His Holy Spirit. Jesus, after He was crucified, He rose from the grave, Um, He spent those 40 days with His disciples, Then He said to them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Stay in Jerusalem, okay? So... They were many of them were from Galilee area, and so he told them, Stay in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I'm gonna send the Holy God the God the Father is gonna send the Holy Spirit to you. And so you stay in Jerusalem until you're filled with power from on high. And then so they gathered in Jerusalem after Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives. They came back from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, to the city, and they came together in an upper room where they began to pray. And so they're praying for 10 days. They're going to have a prayer time for 10 days waiting in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit is outpoured upon them. Because Jesus said, don't do anything. Don't try go and preach. Don't do anything at all until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And now we read in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, these words, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That one place, if you look back in chapter 1, was the one place of an upper room. So you can go back and read that in chapter 1. I'm not going to take time to do that, but just uh, uh, know that... I'm telling you the truth, okay? It's, it was the upper room where they went to, all right? You can read again in chapter 1 all about that. So they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every, every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, "'Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans?' Remember, he, they were from Galilee, right? So they recognized their accent. "'Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language?' Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of that great or the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did, did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. Anybody want to stop and say hallelujah right there? Freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him the reason it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him is because he was perfect he was the perfect son of God and so death could not hold on him because the wages of sin is death there was no sin in Jesus David said about him, "...I saw the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence." Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. Okay, We just passed by what is recognized as the tomb of David. Okay, But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at your right hand until I make my enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, or Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to their heart or to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? One translation said, what must we do to be saved? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Isn't that amazing? Incredible story. Yeah. Let me tell you why this is so significant for us today. Let me give you a little bit of the backdrop. Peter, as you recall, we talked about it several places now. Peter, at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, or right before his crucifixion, what did Peter do? What mistake did Peter make? He denied denied the Lord three times, right? And of course, Peter felt all the guilt of denying Jesus. And of course, we also talked about the story up in Galilee of how Jesus restored him back by the water and said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. There was the restoration that happened. But nevertheless, we see the weakness of Peter in that moment. But not too many days later, they're gathered together in an upper room like this. And so Jesus said, go there, stay there until you're filled with power from on high. Because you're not equipped to do what I want you to do until you have my power in you. Okay? And this is very important for us to understand as Christians. The Christian life cannot be lived in our own power. Okay, The Christian life was designed to be lived by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. If the apostles needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, do you think we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Of course we do. There's no question about it that we need... To be filled with the power of the Spirit of the living God. And so they came to an upper room very much like this. And they began with a prayer meeting. And they prayed for ten days. they asking God, waiting upon God to send the Holy Spirit. And then there came that day, the day of Pentecost. And that Pentecost was a particular Jewish celebration that happened. There would have been people from all over celebrating that particular event here in Jerusalem. And so the scripture says that the Spirit of God came into that room like a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire set down upon the top of the heads of all of those people that were there. And then suddenly something supernatural happened. All of them began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And there was this moment where the Holy Spirit was outpoured upon these people and they began to pray in languages they had never learned. That's that incredible to think about? What really there's a lot that tells us there, but one of the things that tells us is that when the Holy Spirit fills you, the first thing he goes after is your tongue. Okay, amen. Okay. I mean, you know, your tongue's gotten you in more trouble than anything else, right? Okay. Would you agree? Okay. Your tongue has gotten you in way more trouble than your hands have. Okay. Uh, so, So the Spirit of God set upon them tongues of fire and touched their tongues. They begin to speak in another language as the Holy Spirit gave them the utterance. They begin to pray in languages they'd never learned before. And they're so filled up with the Holy Spirit that they're just happy and joyous. And they're bouncing around in the room and they spill out of the room. They're praying in all these different languages out in the streets of Jerusalem. And people are coming by and thinking, what's going on? Man, this is a party. These guys must be drunk. And then Peter steps up. Now, remember, Peter was the guy who had messed up not too many days before, okay? And now here is the fella who had messed up. Jesus has restored him. And what you see now is of all the people that were picked to preach the Pentecost message, who was picked? Peter. Peter was. Why? Because he knew something about grace, didn't he? He understood what grace was all about. And so he was chosen by God to preach that Pentecost message. And so he begins to share the message. He says, no, no, these people are not drunk. Uh, This is nine o'clock in the morning. People would not be drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that I'm going to pour out my spirit in the last days upon all flesh. And young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. It's going to be an amazing event. And so this is what God said he was going to do. He was going to take the Spirit of God and put it into the lives of people. And Of course, we see what happened that day that as he preached this message, talked about Jesus and His death and resurrection, who He was. In that moment, people were convicted in their hearts that they needed a relationship with Christ. And they asked the question, what must we do to be saved? How can we have what you have? And Peter said, repent. That is, turn. Do a 180. Turn your life away from the world toward God. Turn your life toward God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit just like we did. And of course, that day, 3,000 people came into the early church. That is the day the church was born, okay? And that first day, we know that the church had at least 3,120 members, okay? It was the first mega church that ever existed, okay, right? So on the very day of Pentecost, 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. They're baptized, and that launches this amazing church in Jerusalem that then eventually begins to be spread to places all around the world as the apostles go and, and preach the message in various places from that going forward in the book of Acts. But what does this have to do for you and me? Let me tell you what it has to do for all of us. One of the things that you and I need to make sure that we do, and in this upper room, it's a great reminder of this, that you and I need to make sure that in our lives that we are seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you three C words that anytime you think of Carmel, you'll remember these three words. Number one, courage. How many know you have to have courage to serve God, right? Okay. Did Elijah have courage? He was one, and there were 450 prophets of Baal. Let me tell you, it may seem like the world that we're in today, there's a lot of anti-God forces in our world. They're all around, and their voices are loud, aren't they? Okay. So what do we need to be in the face of a world that is shouting unbelief and shouting anti-God things? What do we need to be as the people of God? We need to be like Elijah. We need to have, what's the word again? Courage. Okay, Elijah had amazing courage courage to withstand those 450 prophets of Baal. And by the way, who gave him that courage? God did. He gave him the courage, and God can give you the courage to stand strong. This is the power of God working in your life. The second word I want to give you is confidence, okay? So courage and confidence. Okay. Did Elijah have confidence? Yes. What did he do? When these guys are like trying to get Baal to answer, he starts taunting them and say, maybe your God's asleep, shout louder. What's going on here? See, Elijah was not stressed at all. You know why? Because Elijah knew who God was, okay? Know who God is. God is still alive and well in our world today. God is not sleeping. He's not distant. God is alive. So it starts with courage, and with courage, then we add to it. What's that word again? Confidence. Confidence that God is going to work in our lives. And then the next word I want to give you is conquering, okay? So out of your courage and out of your conquering will come, out of your courage and confidence will come, what's the other word? Conquering, okay? Who ended up winning the battle? that day. Not Elijah, really. Who was it? It was God that won the battle. Face your problems with confidence and face your problems knowing that in the end, who's going to conquer, okay? Our God is a mighty God. Our God is powerful. Our God is the God who fights for us. Elijah didn't have to fight that day. God fought for him and then he fought in the power of God to kill the 450 prophets of Baal. So anytime you think about Mount Carmel, remember those three words in your relationship with God. Number one, it is courage. Number two, I'm going to have confidence. And number three, I know that God will always conquer. Amen. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Simon said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't get this just by thinking about it, or you didn't get this from a conversation you had with people. The Heavenly Father helped you to understand who I am. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, as we'll talk about in just a moment, or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, there's some confusion at times about what Jesus meant when he said to Peter, upon this rock peter i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it jesus was not saying to peter that peter was going to be the rock of the church because some of you know that peter was not very stable all the time right okay and so jesus is not going to build his rock on peter and some traditions will say that peter is the rock of the church he's the foundation of the church Uh, that's not our understanding of scripture Peter the revelation that Peter had about who Jesus was is the rock of the church, right? And so here's the thing that we come to faith in Christ by acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and then we are standing on the rock who is Jesus Christ. The rock is not Peter. The rock is the revelation of who Jesus is, all right? And so to get to heaven, you don't need a relationship with Peter. You need a relationship with Jesus, right, okay? Peter doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus gets you to heaven. And Jesus is the one that provides the rock and the security for your life. Now, it's interesting that... In this place, uh, gods that were worshipped here, going back to uh, Greek periods, Roman periods, and those kind of things, as was mentioned, there was a cave in the middle where water came out, and that area was known as the gates of Hades or the gates of hell. So you can just imagine that Jesus says right here in this place, in a known place where people would have identified that this being the very gates of hell. This area, Caesarea Philippi, was known as Sin City. I mean, you think that Las Vegas is bad? This was a bad place when it comes to just the moral degradation of this area. And so Jesus said, upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church and the gates of Hades... He could have very well pointed in that direction because that would have been their identity. But, of course, we know it goes beyond that. The demonic structures, the demonic entities that exist, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is building a church that no demon will ever prevail against, okay? There's no false God. There is no demon that can ever prevail against. And when we stand in relationship with Jesus Christ, as I mentioned in one of our other teachings, we stand in an authority that comes by Him. And then He said, This, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus said, Now that you understand who I am, and you understand the authority that we have in relationship with in your relationship with Me, and that the gates of hell cannot even even prevail against the church that I'm building. Now I'm going to give you some keys. What do keys do? Keys lock and unlock, right? And so I want all of us today to remember that when you came into relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus gave you a set of keys. The keys of the kingdom happen by our prayer. It happens through our praise and through our worship, through our through the promises of God's word that we take those keys of the kingdom and where there's there are forces of hell at work in our lives we say no we're taking hold of the keys of the kingdom of God the gates of hell shall not prevail so i'm going to lock up that demonic thing that's attacking my family or that demonic entity that's attacking my life and i'm going to loose into our lives the blessing and the flow of righteousness and peace and joy so just remember Here at Caesarea Philippi, who the rock is, the rock is not Peter, the rock is Jesus. And in relationship with Jesus, there is no gate or force of hell that will ever be able to prevail against him.
1: Perhaps, as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart. Something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ Let me encourage you, you need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the Teaching Ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org.